I lie in the dust. Revive me by your word. I lie in the dust. Revive me by your word. I lie in the dust. Revive me by your word. Welcome, everybody. We're in our fourth week of a five-week sermon series called Be the New. We are talking about starting this year that we're not waiting on the world to change. We are being the change that the world needs. And so let me recap just where we've been over the last three weeks prior to today. We started with the first two weeks were about what's inside of us. It sets a foundation. We talked about humility first. Pride is a terrible thing. It tears us apart. But if we start with God is first, others are second, I am third. Humility is the basis for which everything else grows. In week two, we talked about empathy. Empathy is the ability, it's easy in this world to shout and yell. Empathy builds bridges to people, finds out about them, walks in their shoes, discovers their needs, and builds relationships. And that's what our world needs. And then last week, Pastor Eric shared with you the importance of now practical steps, community, is that we need each other to be the new. We need to grow, and the way we grow is in community. And so Eric shared about the importance of community. He shared about how the Holy Spirit works through all of us in community. And we launched 19 new life groups that day. And we got them going this week because Linnea was talking about. And so it's really exciting to say, come on, guys, if we're going to be the new, let's do those things. Humility, empathy, community, let's go, let's go, let's go. And we, we go, maybe two or three go running out the door, right? So I want to talk kind of about some real things today why it's hard to be the new and for our guests my name is Brian on the back of that worship guide when we walked in are these sermon notes here's our first sermon note together being the new is hard when we're dead being the new is hard when we're dead now what I'm talking about is how we feel inside dead inside I feel dead inside but maybe that's a really strong word. Maybe the word that we need to use is I feel flat. I just feel uninspired or I feel unmotivated. You know why that a lot of us feel like that? Because you look around us, there's a lot of things that de-inspire us, demotivate us. They make it really hard to be the new. And so can I be really honest? It's easier to be the old than it is the new. And what that means, guys, is it's easier to be dead that is to be alive. It's easier. So what can bring us to life? What can make us alive? Our second sermon note points us in that direction. The Bible is alive and it's powerful. The Bible is alive and it's powerful. It's alive and powerful, more powerful to do this. Watch this.
teach us a lot in sermons about awkward pauses. <laughs> this is one of those where we laugh at ourselves. Give me one more second, because if I have to act out this whole video, it's going to take just a little while. <laughs> but I will explain it. It's not happening. Okay, let me tell you about what this video is. This video is about a minute and a half montage of everybody yelling, it's alive. It starts with the movie Frankenstein in 1931 where he sits over his new creation and yells, it's alive. And that very phrase is used. We go all the way through every cartoon like Scooby-Doo. We go all the way through every modern uh, TV series you're watching today. They all yell that phrase, it's alive. Why are we so preoccupied with being alive? Creation coming to life. It's because it's exactly the way God built us. We were made to be alive. Alive in spirit, alive in soul, more than just physical. And so that's why we go into this. We talk about the Bible is alive and powerful. What I mean is it can bring us back from the dead. And so where do I get this from? Well, the scripture is Hebrews 4. Chapter 4, verse 12. And the verse says this. We'll pop it up overhead here. It says, For the word of God is alive and is powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. And so there's two things that say. It's saying it's live. God's word is alive. That means it shows us the living God. It shows he is alive. He's not dead. He's alive. And it shows his creation and God's purpose for his creation that we were made to be alive. And it says this word is so alive that it has the power to change our lives, to transform us all throughout our lives. It's dynamic. And when we engage it, it changes us. That's what it means by alive. But it also says it's sharp, like a sharpest of the sharpest swords. What that means is God word, God's word will penetrate anything that's false on the outside of us. God's word will penetrate us to the deepest core. God's word is so sharp, there's nowhere inside our heart, soul, and mind it can't get to. But that isn't all it does is get there and stab us. It gets there and it cuts out whatever is making us dead. That's how sharp and alive God's word is. If God's word, the Bible, is alive and powerful, then here's the million dollar question. Then why, for many, does it sit on a shelf collecting dust? And I think I got a bunch of answers for this. And I think the primary reason why a Bible will sit on a shelf and collect dust and never open, especially in a Christian's life, is that because the person who's supposed to pick it up is not alive, right? I lie in the dust. Revive me by your word. That's verse 25 of Psalm 119. 
And Psalm 119 is where we're going to hang out today. Psalm 119 is 176 verses long. We're going to read every one of them. Now we're going we're to skip around a little bit. It's 176 verses long. It is not only the longest psalm, it is the longest chapter in the book. We pay attention when somebody spends that much time writing something. It is an acrostic. Let me tell you what an acrostic is. Like if we put my name Brian up there, B-R-I-A-N, B is benevolent, R is what? Righteous, I is an idiot, whatever you want. That's an acrostic. It, w- it would take each letter and it would, it would put a description behind it. So Psalm 119 is an acrostic, but what it's an acrostic of is it's, there's 22 stanzas that have eight verses each. Just so happens the Hebrew language has 22 letters. And so it's written in the Hebrew alphabet, A through Aleph through the end. And each one has eight verses. So for you Bible nerds like me, it's like, here's a little bit of fun with that. But it's actually an acrostic when you look at it. It's 22 stanzas of eight verses. We believe, some believe it's written by the King David. Um, a lot of the older commentaries think that, a lot of the modern ones don't. But the one thing they all agree on is it looks like it was written over a lifetime or a long period of time, not, because you'll see early on, you'll see uh, statements of immaturity, and you'll see statements of maturity as they grow. But here's the deal, it's 176 verses all about glorifying God and his word. And all 176 verses are about us coming alive in his word. And so it's a fun place to hang out today. So what's interesting is a psalmist who writes this addresses all the reasons why we have struggle picking up God's word because he struggled too. And so he writes them all down and they're just beautiful for us. So I'm gonna organize all these. These are not in your notes. You're gonna have to write them out to the side because there's quite a few, but I'm gonna answer this question. Why do Bibles collect dust? And we're gonna use Psalm 119 to give the answer. Here's the first reason why. And guys, these are real. I'm not, this is not, put. these are the things I struggle with. So the first one, there isn't enough time, right? I don't pick up God's word. I can't be the new in his word because there's not, there's not enough time. I mean, I've got three kids or I've got two jobs or we're rushing back and forth here, whatever it is, school, studies, papers. There's not enough time. The reality is, so it's an issue of not really time. God gives us 24 hours a day. It is an issue of priorities. It really is. Is it that important that it will jump up ahead of everything else? And the psalmist knew this. The psalmist knew this. He wrote in, in verse 55, he says, I reflect at night. This sounds like a young guy or a young woman on who you are, O Lord, and therefore I obey your instructions. But then you go deeper into it, like maybe later when he's writing life in verse 147, he says, I rise early. I rise early before the sun is up. I cry out for help and I put my hope in your words. He knew the issues of priorities and the psalmist changed his schedule to find time to spend in God's word, carved it. Second reason why, why our Bibles collect us is because we're pursuing temporary pleasures. Pursuit of a job. Man, if I just put in 60 hours this week, I, you know, I'm that close to promotion or, or hey, my, uh, this next level, like high school is killing me or my master's degree is killing me, my doctorate's killing me. That next rank in the military, if I just go to these schools, I can get up to that next level. Sports, right? 
nightly stuff with kids. They're in 25 programs, and we have all these things that they're not bad, but they only give us temporary benefit versus God's word, which gives us eternal benefit, right? So it's verse 37. The psalmist knew this. He said, turn my eyes from worthless things. He's asking God to do this. We hear the immaturity here. And give me life through your word. But look at how much it changes just down to verse 59. I pondered the direction in my life and I didn't like it. So I turned, I turned to follow your laws. Look at the growth. The third reason, this one's kind of big and I think it hits us all at a certain part of our life. Why we, why we don't pick this Bible up is that we're stuck in shame. If I'm going through a bad season in my life and I'm not doing what God's asking me to do and my sin gets so deep, I have a hard time going to God. Because I feel he won't accept me. I feel I'm too dirty to go there. How can I stand in the presence of the holy? The psalmist says it's because of our sin is exactly why we pick up this Bible. And he writes this. He writes in verse 39, help me abandon my shameful ways. Help me for your regulations are good. Look at the earliness of that one verses. Verse 45, I will walk in freedom. He gets it. I will walk in freedom for I've devoted myself to your commandments. Look at the change. So yeah, we're all gonna go through that one. Don't let sin life, don't let shame hold you from going to God. That's exactly why I want you to come to him. Next one. Simply, I'm just not in a good place right now. This isn't necessarily because of sin. This is, this is just life sucks. Life, world, things stink. I lost somebody I love this year. I'm stuck. My job just closed down. I have no job. The psalmist went through this. Verse 28, I weep with sorrow. Encourage me by your word. I find it here. And look at the maturity in this 74. It's like now, now I get it. Let your unfailing love, I see it. Let your unfailing love come for me just as you promised me, your servant. He grew in the word and sees God's promise and he sees the comfort, he sees the love. He loves to go there. How about this next one? Reason why we don't pick up our Bible, why it collects dust. It's tedious or boring, Right? No happiness, no joy, eh, it's just kind of a, eh. It's big, it's long, there's all these authors, I don't think I'll really like it. I'll get what I need out of it, but it's just like going exploring it, eh. To be honest with you, I really enjoy reading novels, and I really enjoy, like, and for those of us who don't read, I really love binging and watching Netflix. I can get a lot of enjoyment out of that. The psalmist writes in verse 35, he says, Make me walk along the path of your commands, for that is where my happiness is found. He finds joy there. In verse 162, he says, I rejoice in your word like one who discovers a great treasure. It's like, wow! He's holding this calling a great treasure. 
There's another one we didn't have here because we just didn't have room. Uh, it's in verse 131. He says, I pant with expectation to pick this thing up because he's discovering it's alive. It's powerful. Let me challenge that boring thing a little bit. How many here love to read or watch romance movies or not or read novels, right? Some of you pray, right? Okay, you're all lying. I, okay, online people, you be honest with me. Who's, do you know this book's all about romance? This book tells us not only about God's love and God's love through Christ, it tells us how to find the right person in our lives. It also tells us uh, how to have a great life, how two are sewn into one. It's a great romance novel. If you like steamy romance novels, go check out Song of Songs. It's steamy. God's sexuality is one of his greatest creations. It's beautifully described, but it'll make you blush if you haven't ever read it. What about horror? You like horror? You like graphic? This thing's full of graphic stuff. There's incredible graphic stories throughout this Bible if you like horror movies and horror novels. What about crime and thrillers? You like crime and thrillers like, like the whodunits? You know how many whodunits are in here? How many people have been chased or, or evil have been chased? And how many people have been changed? How many crimes have been committed? The greatest crime in history, the largest trial ever to happen is in this book. And that is when Christ went through six trials and was hung on a cross. Thriller, it's there. What about, do you like those supernatural movies? You know, woo, like the scary ones? This book is full of supernatural of how God's angelic forces and the forces of evil go battle. It's throughout the Bible. And it's real. All those are the reason why this is still the number one bestseller of all books through all ages. Another reason we, we uh, it'll collect dust, the Bible will collect dust, is that, we, and this one's a fair one too, we just don't get it. I mean, it's hard. I mean, come on, Brian, it's, some books are thousands of years old. Different culture, I, I'm not Jewish, I don't, I don't understand the synagogue. Leviticus, I started there and my life crashed and burned. It's like, what was that? Begats, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, Trinity, repentance, all these things. What is all that? I, I just don't understand. And the psalmist seen that. And he writes first, he says, look at the youthfulness of this. Give me understanding. He knows where understanding comes from. Give me understanding and I will obey your instructions I will put them into practice with all my heart. But look at the change here in verse 104. Your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. See how they grow in the word? It used to be, hey, help me understand. And they trusted God is the one that helps us understand. Now they understand. They said, now that's why I hate all these other pursuits. The last one to deal with is why does the Bible collect dust is because it's probably a, a fairly consistent argument today is it's outdated. It's outdated. It's written, the earliest part was, or the latest part close to us was 1900 years ago. But the biggest thing is people say, well, God's law, Ten Commandments, these things that they wrote thousands of years ago really don't apply to today. Sexuality is different. Uh, relationships are different. Um, God's law is Irrelevant in some areas of life. Yet the psalmist writes in verse 52, I meditate on your age-old regulations. 
Well, Lord, they comfort me. But look at the maturity when we get down to 91. Your regulations remain true to this day, for everything serves your plans. Here's a test for the people that say it's not truth and it doesn't work today. It's just go through the Old Testament and see how many times the nation of Israel rises up and follows God's commands, gets fat and happy, then goes do their own thing, and they crash and burn. And they pick back up, and they realize, okay, God's commands were good. His purposes were right. So we get it right, everybody thrives, we get fat and happy, boom, go the other direction. Everything crashes, burns. And that happens up until about 90 AD, when the last one's written. Now go read any type of history in the world. Rome, any nation has grown and become successful and fat and happy and followed their own ways and they crash and burn. And even looking at our own nation that we wonder today, we struggle, we're hurting with this. Is where we go on in morality as a nation. We're getting away from God's commands again. Ladies and gentlemen, we make the difference in this because we believe God's commands haven't changed. And we don't want to see that same pattern we keep seeing throughout history. The Bible is revelation. What that means is it's how God reveals himself to us. So it's important here is to understand there, there's general revelation where, where the Bible says, I can look upon the hills and see God in all his majesty. You can know God. It says it's obvious. I look at creation. I look at you and I, and it's obvious God exists. It's so obvious, but I can't know God through general revelation, so he gives us 66 books, 42 authors over thousands of years to paint the whole story over and over and over. And he says, let me reveal to myself, especially to you. And so God delineates it, inspires authors to write. We can't know God without knowing his word. We can be aware of him, but we can't know the God of Isaac and Jacob and Abraham. I can't know his son. I can't understand the church and why until I open this up. But not only we can't know God without knowing his word, here's my challenge is we can't love God without loving his word. God's word, scripture, is not simply interesting stories told to us to inform us, to educate us, to entertain us, or to edify us. God's word aims at engaging us, liberating us, converting us, and transforming us. The purpose of God's word is to tell what God, who loves us all so much, has done for us in this whole world and to invite us into a new freedom that is only found in Christ. So that is a really important name to throw out right here because we come alive in the word but only through a person. And his name is Jesus. Let's look at our next sermon note together. Our revival is impossible without Jesus. Let me go back to the very first scripture I shared with you. I lie in the dust. Revive me by your word. Dust is a reminder of the brokenness and the deadness that comes from man, humanity's fallen state, from sin. Sin caused a curse. In Genesis 3.19, it says, from dust we became, and because of the curse of sin and what it's done to humanity, 
to dust we will return. So when the psalmist says, I am dust, he knows fallen humanity. And he wants to come alive. But the fall is not the final word. We come alive through Jesus, who said, I took the penalty at sin and I put it on a cross with me and I paid it for you so you didn't have to stay in the dust. And that is revealed in Scripture. Jesus said these very words in John chapter 5, verse 39 through 40. Jesus said, You search the Scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. The whole Testament, it points to Jesus. The whole New Testament, the Gospels share who Jesus is. All the letters that are written throughout the New Testament point back to Jesus. Revelation shows Jesus came and he's coming back. It all points to him because he's the one who gives us life. but I know there's, there's a good chance between those who are online and those who are here today, there's somebody who hasn't really come to Jesus yet, who doesn't really believe and follow him or believe in his word, and they're lying in the dust. Can I tell you today, whether you're online or you're here, you don't have to leave today in that place where you're dead. You can come alive to the very one that made you alive. All you have to do is come up here afterwards and just catch us when everybody's leaving. Write on your connect card that's on the bottom of that worship thing, right on there. Just write, I want to come alive. Would somebody help me? And we'll walk with you. That's what community's about. But don't walk dead out of here. Don't walk out of here dead. The day you believe in Jesus Christ is a really important day. It's the day that everything is set straight. You're okay with God. You're reconciled to him. But then Jesus says you beget a very important gift, and it is the gift of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit, because of what Jesus did, now can dwell in me. And it is the Holy Spirit who reveals what this means to us. God's Spirit dwells in us because of what Jesus did. And he illuminates every page of this in our hearts. And he's the one that explains it to us. And he does that to me directly when I read it. And when I hang out with this group here, he does it through them. The Holy Spirit talks through a whole group. That's why we do community together. Because he can talk through all of us in a special way to shape, grow, and make us healthier as a body. This is in John 6, 63, where the very words of Jesus again, he says, the Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing, and the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And the very words of Jesus are recorded right here. They are spirit and life. This is how God reveals. And it's through Jesus that we come alive. And it's through the Holy Spirit that I can pick this up and understand it better and better every day. Amen. And when God's word comes alive in us, we become alive. So here are some simple steps. How do we do a new habit? I'm not gonna give you 12 steps. Four simple things that we can think about is how do I change my trajectory today? How do I be the new? How do I go out and change the world instead of just joining the world in all this garbage? 
Four ways. It starts with remembering where we've been so far. Humility, empathy, community. And here's four ways of developing a habit of reading God's word. First, it's simple. This isn't rocket science. Carve a time and a place. The psalmist did it. I I imagine a young kid, I do it at night because I'm a night owl, and then it's written later, I do it in the morning because we wake up. I mean, I'm just guessing, but it sounds like that. I get more out of God's word in the morning now as I'm getting a little grayer. Carve the priority of God's word in your life. Start with just one day. Some people like, man, you need to read it every day. We want to get there. Start with one day and open it and give it 10 minutes. Start with two days, three days. I guarantee you, you'll fall in love with it to where you'll want to do it every day. The second thing, developing a reading, a habit of reading God's word is to embrace learning in community. And I've talked a little bit about this. Um, Eric talked about it last week. We grow faster in community. When I'm surrounded by a bunch, bunch of wise people and young people who are new to faith, I, young people ask a lot of hard questions that make me really go back and look at my faith. And the academics do too. And I, have to, I learn every time. I was in two small groups this week and I think I grew tremendously. Does it mean all of them are all right? No. We always have to have a critical spirit to go out and evaluate what the Holy Spirit's saying to us. We launched 19 new groups this week to lay the groundwork to anybody that can come. On Zoom, in person. Lene showed you the brochure. Please connect. If you're not connected in community, it may be really hard to learn a lot just on your own. And it's not too late to sign up. All the groups started this week. What that means is they all came together, introduced each other. We started distributing books. Nobody's got into chapter one yet, right? And a lot of these are Bible-based. There's one class that's here on Sunday mornings that's strictly studying the Bible. How do I study the Bible? All those things are there for you. Next thing, third thing, use an app or a reading guide. Use an app. Everybody loves version. It's a really popular one. Y-O-U version, version. It's a great one. It reminds me at 9 a.m. what scripture I should read. It boop, pops up, sends me a notification. Hey, but I also can connect with other friends, which I've done. There's reading plans. There's things and topics. Let's go over anger. Let's go over stress. Let's go over identity. So we do it together, and I can share that app back and forth with people, and we can study it together and send notes together. Apps are a great way. Reading guides. Uh, there's all kinds of downloadable reading guides. We're going to give you one here in just a minute that help me stay steady. And the last thing I'll recommend is that you should read the Bible at least once in your lifetime all the way through. Now, I wish you would want to do it more. God's entire, this whole story is about creation, sin, Israel, restoration, and Jesus coming back. The restoration of heaven on earth. That's all this book's about. But you want to read through it once, at least, to look at the whole grand narrative. So then if I do decide to read Leviticus, I know where I'm landing in this story and it makes more sense. But I encourage you. And one way to do that before you leave today is that we have a guide at every door. Here the welcome team has them. It's a simple chronological reading plan, which means it follows on a timeline uh, the whole Bible. It's front and back. It's got every week you can mark off right here and walk through it this year. Walk through it with somebody. It's pretty simple to do. You can just do the New Testament. You can do the whole thing. But grab one of these before you leave. Challenge yourself. I'm going to go all the way through the Bible in a year. Your last sermon note together, this one's really important as we go out these doors, is that people notice those who have come back from the dead. 
In a world ruled by the dead, it's time for us to come alive. And ladies and gentlemen, this world is ruled by the dead. And it's time for us to come alive. We can be that change. I'm hoping everybody here develops a new habit of Bible reading. I'm hoping everybody here does it in community. I'm hoping at some point in our life that we are discipling somebody else and helping them walk through and learning together. Because disciples are really disciples is when they make disciples. I'm hoping that you develop a new habit or one of us develops a new habit here today of starting to read this that within two weeks your spouse, a friend, your kids go, wow, it's alive. Like they look at you and they say, what happened to this person? Or you wake up and you say, I'm alive because I've grabbed God's word and he brings me to life. Do you guys know what a zombie is? There's three words, I think three words, short word, phrase that describes what a zombie is. What's those three words? Dead men walking, walking dead. That's really good, not the ones I'm looking for. Three words, what? The living dead, there we go. Zombies are described as the living dead. They move around the planet, but they're dead inside. Men and women, boys and girls, there are four billion people on this planet who are zombies, who are the living dead. They are walking around, but they are dead inside because they do not know the name of Jesus. And either they rejected it or nobody's told them. And they are walking right here in our own community. I would argue that there are Christian zombies too, people that waked up to who Christ was but then they quit and inside they're just dead they accepted him and stuff like that but they quit moving and we're just uh, you know kind of going through life I would say the living dead describes the world around us right now they are waiting for someone or something to change them that's not us we are the new through the power of the Spirit, let's all engage this word. Let's all come alive. And let's go out of here today and help other people come alive too. Amen? We're gonna pray for offering here. They got the video? Okay, we found the video. Can I still show you? Okay, so... Here's the thing, we need to come alive. So let's watch this video that we tried to show a little earlier. Thank you, Lene. Thank you for getting it going. Alive, it's alive, it's alive. It's alive, alive. <laughs> and it's really big. Look, Smithers, a twitch. It's moving! It's alive! <laughs> yes! It's alive! Alive! It's alive! It's alive! I'm reading bioscience on the planet. To quote Dr. Frankenstein, it's alive. It is alive! <laughs> It's alive! 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 It's alive!
into reading through the whole Bible and take that challenge. We have handouts as you leave. You can either do the New Testament or the whole book, but um, Aiden, put that other graphic up, would you? There is at the end of your worship guide, there's also, maybe you've already done reading through the Bible in a year, or maybe you uh, aren't ready to bite that big chunk off just yet, but at the bottom of your worship guide, we have scriptures just for this week's message. Um, and we'll also be posting those on Facebook, but that's what's going to let you read along with the psalm that Pastor Brian just preached from um, today. And it's going to take those 22 stanzas of eight verses, and we're going to break it into a daily reading plan for you. And you can follow along with us all week, and that will get you through Psalm 119. So have a great week, everybody, and we hope to see you back next Sunday. Oh, Lord, my God.